Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. I'm so excited about the show. It's about stripping down the labels and connecting to the person. Um, This is Dr. Gary Bell. I have a great uh, special guest with me. Her name is Lauren Nile. She is the author of uh, Race, My Story, and Humanity's Bottom Line. She's also on Voice America's Variety Channel with her show, The Fate of Humanity, Crucial Conversations for Our Survival. And we're going to discuss how we label and its effects, and the need of this world to evolve into a world without prejudice. Um, You know, personal philosophical change is really required of many of us to meet the world at where we are at, and to see how the subtle reactions to race and culture and affiliations cloud the view of who we are and actually create tribal societies and and people who uh, have closed cultures and have closed views of how the world is. If we could somehow break that, guess what? We would not have a war. We'd have peace and we'd have a lot more to share. All right. Now, let's give you some background on Lauren because she is the most incredible person. Um, Lauren Nile is an author. She's a keynote speaker. She's a trainer. She's on voiceamerica.com as a radio host. She's a retired attorney with 27 years of broad experience in designing, developing, and implementing a wide range of organizational development activities intended to assist organizations in increasing their emotional intelligence, their compassion, and their productivity. And in that capacity, Lauren has worked with various levels of organizational leaders and many kinds of teams. She has conducted the first office-wide sexual harassment training for the executive office of the president. Lauren has served as director of training for National uh, Multicultural Institute in Washington, D.C. She's also been the manager of professional development at California State University, Northridge, And she is the intern director of training and professional development for Cal Poly University in Pomona, California. You know, Lauren is often asked to deliver keynote addresses on a whole variety of issues. She's been interviewed on uh, Fox Network Morning News, and she's been quoted in the Washington Post, Business Week, and the Christian Science Monitor. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you, Gary. It's good to be with you. I am so proud and happy to have you on the show. This is going to be a really exciting dialogue. I've got tons and tons of questions for you, and I'm just going to start. (laughs) You know, in general, what is the experience a person of color receives that a white person does not experience in this day and age? Well, I'm going to speak, Gary, from um, the American perspective because, of course, that's 99.9% of my life experience. I've spent my, my life in the United States. So I'll speak from that perspective. And I'll say that I think the most um, significant difference uh, that a person of color has of life as uh, an American and that a European-American person has as life as an American 
um, is what is commonly referred to as the daily indignities or the microaggressions. I mean, there are other things I can talk about, but I think that's the most important. It's, it's, it's the, what's called the shopping while black experience of being followed around in stores, which mm-hmm. at my age, I'm in my mid-sixties, still happens to me to this day when I go into certain department stores. It's driving while black, being stopped and harassed by police officers, uh, when you've often not done anything. You know, no. it's always being un- under suspicion. You see people in line in front of you return a certain item of merchandise to the store, they go right through, and then yours, you're next in line, yours has to be carefully inspected to make sure nothing's wrong with it, that it's not broke. I mean, it's those kinds of daily indignities. You know, just the interactions with people in which there is often so much not, not, I won't say hatred, that's too strong of a word, but just apprehension. You can mm-hmm. see people's discomfort. Oh, uh, oh, I'm not quite sure how this interaction is going to go. Just in your day-to-day life, almost on a daily basis, those kinds of things, the social daily indignities, um, the fact that so many people of color in the United States experience them and white people don't. I think that's the main difference, Gary. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I mean, I, I even see that. Uh, in my life, I, just the other day, I was with my daughter. I was walking out of a Walmart, and you know they check your receipt. And I noticed there there was people that had some groceries in front of me, and they were Hispanic. They checked theirs, but mm-hmm. I walked up and they didn't even check mine. And I was yeah. like, wow, yeah. there was no difference. There was no yep. difference. We were both yep. had grocery bags. That's it. Yep. Right. <laughs> and so that kind of, it just kind of blew my mind that, you know, I knew the show was coming out. I'm a little more hypersensitive to that now. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just trying Absolutely. to. Absolutely. And Gary, the thing is, in my experience anyway, many, many white Americans don't notice the stuff. And why should you? It's not your experience. It's like me noticing. Uh, for, for example, uh, how a person with a disability might be treated in the same situation in which I'm treated better because I don't have a disability. If it's not my experience, I'm more likely not to see it. But you saw it in that instance with your with your little girl there. So um, the fact that you're that conscious is good, and that's indeed the level of awareness that we'd like many, many people to reach because if you can see it, then you can decide whether or not you want to be an ally in that moment or not. But, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So you saw it's, it. There it was, it, Gary, right in front of you. I mean, it's almost like, you know, we're just kind of culturally trained to to reflect on people with a label. Um, and, you know, uh, I know we had a conversation a while back where I was I was talking about, you know, when a police officer puts their uniform on, all of a sudden they're a police officer. They're not a person. And, mm, uh, you know, people just kind of have these automatic thoughts when they yeah. look at a person as a label, and it's so yeah. sad because they need to look at them as a person. <laughs> That's where we'd like everyone to be. How we get there is is a conversation worth having, but absolutely, it's what we do. We look at someone as a label, and the person who's on the receiving end sees it. They see it. They see, oh, my goodness. And, you know, in, in the moment, you think, I think I... I think that I know what I think you're responding to, and I know that that's not me, but I know that you don't know that. And so this interaction is going to be through the lenses of your stereotypes of me, which are so far from who I really am. And it's, 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 it's emotionally draining. It's tiring. And if you're a certain kind of person, you know, it just makes you angry. What do you think the reason is that people have evolved into being uh, having like pre prearranged uh, reactions to certain cultures, to certain colors. What what do you think they, the purpose of all that is? 
Mm. Well, Gary, that's a $64,000 question, as they say. You know, I, and you and I have talked on my show about what we think the source is, psychologically, mm-hmm. in terms of brain circuitry, and, mm-hmm. and how when we were, I don't know, living in caves and savannas 10,000 years ago, we needed to make quick distinctions uh, for our survival, distinctions between, for example, animals that could eat us and animals that we could eat, and, you know, we had to make those quick fight-or-flight decisions in a hurry. So right. we've talked about that as the source. But the purpose, you know, I'll say this. Um, I don't know that they really serve a purpose, but I do think, well, not today, not uh, today, but I do think that historically, um, yeah, it's, it's been a very sinister purpose, and that is to keep those who are in power and control in power and control. Um, As long as we're able to manipulate each other's minds and to make some of us think that we're inherently genetically better than others and others obviously, you know, inherently genetically uh, inferior and then those who are in control can keep that control. It's, it's manipulation. And in the past, that's been a large part of the purpose. Today, I just think it's bad thinking. Um, and I do think that it's still being used today for manipulative reasons. But that's, that's you know, I think the main reason, um, to maintain the status quo for those who think that it's in their interest to do so. Absolutely. You know, I... I did a show uh, on identity politics, and this is what offends me about the press. Um, mm-hmm. They they tend to go to this identity, and then they label somebody based on that identity, and mm-hmm. and and then they judge them, and then they jury, and then they go through the whole process of, of prosecuting people based on just a label, just a, mm-hmm. just an idea, and 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 I think it breeds this fear based. Uh, thinking that that operates in people where they do th- they do that operation of labeling people for number one for convenience but number two out of fear and mm-hmm. uh, it and you know living in fear is not living at all oh you know my gosh. you gotta live in faith what are your thoughts so, oh my gosh that is so true living out of fear is not living at all that's a, I've never heard it put that way but that's that's a, an ingenious way to put it um, because people can do a lot of damage to others based on fear, based on what they suspect or perceive as a threat to their survival or their standing or what have you. Um, And, in fact, I've heard it said, and you might have heard it said as well, that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. Um, uh, That's something to think about. But, um, yes, no, you know, I think that none of us should do that, absolutely not, uh, label or see people through labels. But when the press does it, it's really bad because they have such um, a large influence on our society. So many people can see what it is they're doing. They're not just an individual. If the press behaves in that way, it's really bad because it impacts millions of people. And so to the extent that the members of the press need to do some diversity training and some <laughs> introspection. I'm all for that because oh, it's well, dangerous yeah. when you have such a large platform to be engaged in that kind of, of activity. Yeah, you know, how tempting is it to address people when they are uh, prejudiced? How, how tempting is it for you to want to address something that you see? Mm, mm-hmm. Well, Gary, the thing is, I, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. It just depends on where I am in the moment. If it's something that has, um, that, of which I've been the target, um, I will often speak up, but 
uh, it depends on if I have the energy. If it's the end of the day and I'm in CVS getting, I don't know, uh, a box of cough drops and I'm tired and I've worked all day and I don't have the energy, I might make the decision not to, not to say anything because I just don't have the energy. More often than not, though, I will speak up um, and I'll do it in a way that I think, I hope, I'm able to be heard. In other words, I'll, you know, say, I'd, I'd like to speak to your manager, please, and I'll talk to the manager and I'll, you know, express to him or her what my experience was as opposed to someone else in the store whom I had, you know, just witnessed receive different different treatment. Um, so, you know, I always say to people, speak up because that's the only way things will change, but don't beat yourself up if you don't have the energy because it is emotionally draining. It's, it's tiring. Now, uh, if I see something, though, if I see someone else be the target of some kind of discrimination, um, <laughs> it's interesting as an individual. I mean, everybody's different, but for me, I am often more energized about that than I am for standing up for myself. I will <laughs> often have the energy to engage in it when it's someone else, but I have to be very careful, and all of us as allies have to be very careful about how we do it because if we come off as as angry and hostile, we're just going to uh, underscore a stereotype. Um, so while we may be in the throes of frustration and anger, we have to exercise every bit of emotional intelligence we have and speak calmly and rationally and say, you know, for example, um, that lady was here before me. You really need to wait on her first. She, she was here first. You know, just that simple act simple of, of fundamental allyship goes a long way. People appreciate it. They're surprised by it. And uh, they go home and they tell their spouse or their children about it or their partner about it. You know what and just happened to me? Guy in the store, once again, I was next in line, but somehow they didn't see me. But this person stood up for me and said, ah, uh, this lady was first. Um, so, yeah, when people can do it, I encourage it because it's when we can start to stand up for each other. I've done it many times for a person with a disability, um, for an older person. I've done it many times. Um, it's the right thing to do. It makes you feel good because otherwise, for me, I feel guilty. And I think, hopefully, it gives the perpetrator something to think about so that they don't engage in that behavior again in the future. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've we've only got a couple minutes before break, but um, I wanted to, you know, respond or, or jump in a little bit. You know, I was thinking about also reverse uh, discrimination. You know, people responding to discrimination through their own discrimination, meaning mm-hmm. that they may address uh, maybe a white person is being prejudiced, and then they address them as a white person instead of a person. And mm-hmm. maybe that is where the subtlety of how you address it is made, is, is done as addressing them as a person rather than whatever their color or creed or culture is. I don't mm-hmm. know. What are your thoughts? Sure, sure, absolutely. Yes, I mean, I, I know that that is a reality for many people um, because, you know, hurt and anger are the flip sides of the same coin. And in that moment, what you're feeling is hurt. It may be expressed as anger, but you're hurt. You're a human being, and it goes to your heart. So, you know, would it be great if every person who's been the target of some kind of discrimination or some kind of unconscious bias or what have you, would it be wonderful if that person responded to the perpetrator in a way in which they would, like to ha- they would have liked to have been responded to in the first place? Sure. Would it be wonderful if they modeled appropriate, mature behavior, if they said to themselves, I think I know what you're seeing. I know it's not me, so let me model for you how human beings should treat each other. Absolutely, that would be incredible. My you know, thought, though, is that, and my belief is that most people don't have that level of emotional intelligence, that level of self-awareness, 
Right. It's asking a whole lot of a person to not just be a human being and respond in kind. I wish yep. we could for the most part. But I think it's, it's, it's um, pie in the sky to think that when a person's in that level of emotional hurt, that they're going to rise above it and always take the high road. Take it's just not how we're road. wired as human beings, unfortunately. Amen. But it's uh, well. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back because I, I really want to dive into the idea of how is a woman, let alone a black woman, treated differently in this life. Mm, All right, let's sure. take a quick break and come back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we have most wonderful special guest, Lauren Nile. And she is joining me uh, in our first segment. She's going to be on the show throughout the show. And we're going to talk about today's business. And today's business, there is a huge change taking place in this society. And it's a great thing, and it's about time. 
But Lauren, I would like to ask you first off, before we get into this, we're going to talk about sexual misconduct, sexual harassment, but how is a woman, let alone a black woman, treated differently? Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for that question, Gary. For your listeners who may not know, I'm African-American, so yeah, I appreciate the question. Um, You know, when you have sort of what some people refer to as a double whammy, Sometimes you don't know if you, when you experience a, you know, an act of discrimination or when you can see that there's unconscious bias at play in this interaction with another person, you oftentimes don't know what it is. You're thinking, okay, did this happen to me because I'm black or a woman? Neither or both. Mm-hmm. And you oftentimes just don't know. Because, of course, assuming, making the assumption, it can be dangerous because you may just be dealing with a very unconscious person. Um, but but number one, having that experience of, of of wondering, okay, where is this coming from? Because it could be any variety of things. Always puts you on sort of, I guess, emotionally, psychologically, sort of quicksand, shaky ground. Because mm-hmm. you're thinking, should I say something about this? Maybe maybe this isn't what it is. I'm going to let this one go. But it may be. It may have happened to me because of my race and or my gender. So there's this this calculation that's going on in your head in so many situations. And dealing with that, living with that, is a way of life that unless you experience it, I don't know that you can really understand the emotional toll that it takes and how tiring it is. Um, But in terms of treatment, I mean, first of all, um, you know, there's one's treatment as an African-American and all that goes along with that. Um, with, as I mentioned earlier, with regard to being, uh, uh, being suspected of having stolen something or, mm-hmm. you know, having mm-hmm. been harassed by the police or having faced discrimination on your job when you see other people with less qualifications being given training opportunities that you're not getting or whatever. There's all right. of that traditional discrimination stuff. But also being female, you know, you're more likely to be sexually harassed. Uh, or the target of sexual misconduct on your job or just in the street um, than a man. So, um, and by the way, let me just say this. I may get in trouble with some of my listeners for saying this, but that's why when I've experienced uh, sexual harassment at the hands of a man of color, and specifically an African-American man, it hurts so much more deeply because you know what we've been through. Mm-hmm. You know it, and yet you're going to treat me this way. It's, it, it's just so incredibly painful. But wow. I digress. Um, in terms of being a woman, sure, you're more likely to be uh, the target of sexual misconduct on your job. And indeed, we know that harassers choose as their victims those who they believe are most vulnerable, those who, who they believe they're most likely to get away with it with. And oftentimes, that's the person with the least power, and so it's often a woman of color in their, in their job. So, yeah, in answer to your question, Gary, um, you're, you're dealing with, you know, all of the microaggressions, if you will, of being mm-hmm. African-American, and then all of the sexual stuff that comes from being female. So right. um, it takes a lot of strength. They say what doesn't kill you makes you better. Makes you stronger, um, it takes a lot yeah. of strength to, to be positive and to uh, go through this world in a way that you can be proud of because the challenges are, are there. What, what do you think of the, the, the exposure that women are revealing towards high-profile men who have been accused? And I'm sure it's more than high-profile men these days. Mm-hmm, what, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts about that? You know, well, this, I'm really this, happy that it's, that it's happening. I mean, my heart sinks that... It's so common, although I knew that, that it's so prevalent. But I am elated that it's coming out because we can't address it 
unless we really know about it, unless we understand that it exists, unless we understand the, uh, the level at which it exists, you know, how, how common it is, how prevalent it is, we can't really address it. So mm-hmm. they say you have to get to it in order to get through it. We are now getting to it, Gary. You know, with all the women that are coming out, we're really seeing, wow, this is not the exception. It may, well, it, it may not be the rule. Perhaps that's, a, that's a, too strong of a statement. But it is not nearly as uncommon as we thought. So to all of those women who have come out, I say thank you. Uh, because we have to get there. We have to bring it to awareness before we can start dealing with it and trying to cure it. And I also say I applaud you, and I'm very proud of you, because I know it took courage. It took a lot of courage to do that. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's. what do you think about the, the idea that um, it's, it's destroying people's careers, too, to the, mm. to the level that, you know, these events have actually now dictated them in the course yeah. of their existence? Yes. Well, um, and are you saying it's, um, are you asking, Gary, what do I think about the fact that it's destroyed the careers of the alleged perpetrators? Or yeah. The, do, do you oh, think okay. yeah, that yeah. these events... Yeah, um, all I can say about that really is that uh, it's a matter of, as someone once said, the chicken's coming home to roost. I, I don't mean to sound harsh, but at some point when a person has inflicted as much misery, as much pain on others as some of these harassers have, at some point, it's got to catch up to them. I Amen. mean, it, you know, I it's agree. very, I, agree. I think it's I mean, very they, rare unsuitable for their in position. a pattern that, like that, that serious, that long, and not have some consequence. So, you know, it's, it's bad that they've lost their careers in one sense, but in another sense, if they're behaving that way, they really should not be in the workplace. So, Absolutely. Uh, you know. It I don't wish ill safe. on them, and but I just say, you're, hey, you're you know, you've kind of made your bed. Now you got to lay in it, really. So you know, it's it's sad that um, people have made the workplace a predatory environment and actually allowed this to happen over all these years. You know, I yeah. it's 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 amazing that we haven't woken up. But you know, I think corporate America has done a much better job than obviously our government and the media and that some <laughs> other folks. But you know, I'm so glad that there's the corporate America. I think does a much better job addressing this because they realize the impact it has on their workforce. And you you coming from that background, uh, can you talk to that? Yeah, I mean, I think that there are ways in which historically the government has led uh, in, in terms of social progress with regard to, for example, passing civil rights laws in the 60s, the Equal Pay Act of 63, the Civil Rights Act of 64, right. you know, the uh, Voting Rights Act of 65. That can only be done by government, and the government leads in those ways, thank goodness. But there are many other ways in which corporate America has led um, and has, you know, dragged the government along kicking and screaming sometimes. And, you know, I'm not naive enough to think that it was out of the goodness of their hearts. I think when corporate America does lead, for example, in this issue of sexual harassment, it's because they, in large part, they want to avoid the liability you know, they, they, they want to avoid the lawsuits and the union grievances and the, right. and the HR complaints. They want to avoid the expensive uh, uh, jury awards. They want to avoid the expensive um, settlements. Uh, they know that bottom line is they, they are subject to tremendous liability with regard to this issue, specifically of sexual harassment, among others. Mm-hmm. And they want to avoid that. For their bottom line. So, but whatever, you know what, Gary, whatever the reason, I'm just glad that they're doing it. And I, I take my hat off to those 
corporations and those, you know, small mom-and-pop stores, anybody in private industry who takes this issue seriously and, and does the right thing. Amen. You know, um, there are people out there that um, are perpetrators, and then there's people out there that have conducted um, singular impulsive acts. What are your thoughts on that? How how should they be differentiated? Singular mm-hmm. impulsive well, we Bad. know that with regard to sexual harassment, there are a couple of categories of harassers. Mm-hmm. There is, for example, the unconscious harasser, the person mm-hmm. who was brought up in such a way that they just don't get it. They don't know, you know, what they're doing, although it's hard to believe that anybody in these days and times and don't, doesn't know. Yeah. But nonetheless, I do believe that there are some people who, because of the socialization that they received growing up, etc., they just don't get it. And they think that, you know, telling the sexist joke on, you know, Monday morning after they've, you know, I don't know, watch the football game with the guys is, is an okay thing to do. So those are the unconscious harassers. As I say, I think that there are fewer and fewer these days because of the amount of education that we've received on this issue and the amount of visibility that the issue itself has received in, in society. But, okay, there are a few, let's say, unconscious uh, harassers who just don't know any better. Mm-hmm. Then secondly, there are the conscious harassers, the folks who know what they're doing, and they're doing it deliberately, but they will stop. If they know that they're about to get into trouble, if they know that HR is aware or someone is about to file a complaint, they will stop. Those are mm-hmm. the conscious uh, harassers. And then thirdly, there are the hardcore harassers. These are the folks who, no matter what, they're not going to stop. They get their jollies out of making you squirm. There's something that they enjoy about making you uncomfortable. Wow. In my view, I'm not a psychologist, Gary, and I know you are, mm-hmm. but in my view, there's a sort of a sickness about this. Mm-hmm. You know, I like making you squirm. Um, so with, if you're dealing with a hardcore, I, and I do think it's important to distinguish among those three. Not all harassers should be, you know, put in the same category. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that... When dealing with uh, a hardcore harasser, we have to go straight to discipline. They have to be told, knock it off, or these are the consequences. Mm-hmm. If you're dealing with a conscious harasser, then you just tell them, listen, got to stop, or these are the consequences. Um, and the consequences, of course, you know, could be anything from, I don't know, uh, just a, a stern talking to by the supervisor up to an including removal. And if you're dealing with an unconscious harasser, that person just needs to be educated. But sure, not everybody can be put into the same category because there are different reasons why people harass. Sometimes it's just the culture of the organization. And the person wasn't a harasser before they got there. But they see, well, this is how it's done here, so let me just get on board. You know, wow. that's a different yeah. kind of person from the hardcore harasser. And, and in fairness, we do need to make those distinctions. I agree. I agree. You know, I, I think, you know, sex has been a topic that most people have always been afraid to talk about. And I think some people count on the fact that um, they don't they don't believe the person is going to talk about that. Even if they conduct the behavior, um, mm. they, they, they feel like they're probably too afraid to address it just because it's, it's kind of an embarrassing topic to bring up. Sure. I agree. I agree. And and many women don't bring it up. Even women who are targets of it don't bring it up for fear of retaliation. They're, they're, they think, look, you know, I, I know I have the right to speak up about this, but then I'm going to be labeled. They're going to label me as the super sensitive one, the one you can't say anything around, the one that doesn't have a sense of humor, you know, the one you have to walk on eggshells around. And I don't want that. I just want the behavior to stop. But I have to work with these folks, and I, I don't want to be labeled and ostracized, so let me just try to, you know, go along to get along. 
That's why a lot of women don't talk about it for fear of retaliation. And if I say something about it, he might get worse, you know? And now we finally open that door to where people can talk about it and they're not going to be retribution. And that's a good thing. You know, um, we got a few minutes before break, but I want to ask you, you know, being a spiritual person, how are you received coming from a faith background when you can communicate from that faith perspective? Mm, Wow. Excellent question, Gary. Um, I'll tell you, um, I'm, I'm responded to, I think, well, really, honestly, Mm -hmm. because I speak in very spiritually generic terms so that everyone, regardless of their faith tradition or whether they have a faith tradition, uh, uh, is able to hear me. See, I, I feel a real connection to the religions of the East. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, I talk about compassion. I talk about the need to not engage in sexual harassment and discrimination and retaliation of any kind uh, against any human being mm-hmm. through the lens of compassion. But I was also raised in, and I, I feel a connection on a certain level, to the Western religious traditions. So in speaking from that perspective, you know, I talk about love. I talk mm-hmm. about love and being non-judgmental. And so because I am sort of generic in how I deal with with these issues uh, from a spiritual perspective, I'm usually responded to just just fine, and people often will come up to me at the end of the workshop or at the break and, and really thank me for, for bringing those uh, issues in, compassion and love, because that's the bottom line, really. It is. A, you know, it, it's, it, a lot of people fear uh, communicating from their religious perspective, but I, I think it's a great thing to be able to communicate, because if that is who you are, that's who you are. And uh, if you accept who you are, I, I think you're the mirror that other people are going to look through. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more, Gary. Now, working for a state institution, I know that I have to be very careful because, mm-hmm. you know, um, as I mean, I work for a secular state university, so I have mm-hmm. to be careful about that. But as I say, because I'm so universal in my approach, usually people respond very well. When I talk about the faith traditions of the West uh, and love, and not being non-judgmental, I talk about the faith traditions of the East and the whole issue of compassion um, and sort of, you know, uh, evolving, be- becoming one with whatever higher power you may believe exists out there. Most people respond very well. The people who may not respond very well are um, either agnostics or atheists. And, I, you know, I have to be respectful of their perspective, too. So if they raise their hand and say, well, what if you have no faith tradition, then in that case, or, or you're not sure, as in the case of an agnostic, then in that case, I just say, absolutely. But you know what? Then I'll, I'll speak about what's ethical then. What's right. ethical? Because even if you're an agnostic or an atheist person, all of us have a sense of ethics of what's right and what's wrong. So let's go, so go at it from that <laughs> position. So, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't try to force it on anybody, but I do yeah. try to do it in a very comprehensive fashion so that at least most people will be able to hear it. That is so that is so good to hear that. I mean, that's that is a really smart thing to speak from an ethical perspective to get into that uh, more of a universal dialogue. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and I've got more questions for you, Lauren. We're going to talk about the uh, impact of cultures and uh, the impact of labels, why people need to operate with those things. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? 
Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You know, Lauren, I have Lauren Nile on this show. Lauren is the most wonderful person. She is uh, helping me cover the idea of what labels are and what they do to people and why people operate with them. And, you know... I have to ask you, Lauren, what, what is the difference about a person who operates with labels and agendas towards people compared to people who just look at person, people as people, even if they're female, even if they're whatever, whatever their culture? What is the and, difference? What, what do you think people have to operate with labels? Right. Well, the first thing I want to say, Gary, is, you know, I, I try not to villainize people who do operate with labels and stereotypes mm-hmm. because... In my view, and I know people have different and varying views about this, but in my view, it's not their fault, usually. Mm-hmm. I would say nine times out of ten. Oftentimes when a, people, when a person rather, is in the world using those lenses and seeing others through the lens of stereotypes and labels, it's because that's what they were taught. You know, I, I believe that as human beings we all have a, a wonderful, compassionate heart. 
um, a, a heart that's open to, to all people. I mean, I know we have fears and all that, you know, may have some source <laughs> based on when we were, you know, pre-civilized, if you will. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I, I do believe that we are good at heart uh, as, as, as sentient beings. So when a person mm-hmm. operates in the world that way, in my view, it's because they've been taught that. I mean, I believe that no human being is born with sexism and racism and anti-Semitism and ageism and ape- none of that. But I think that as we grow, we're exposed to a lot of misinformation about others on the one hand. Uh, and on the other hand, and this is far less true today, thank goodness, but if you're brought up at a certain time, you have very little exposure to people who are different from you. And so as a result of the misinformation, the lack of exposure, the stereotypes that we get from the media, etc., we form these mental tapes about people. And those mental tapes begin to impact our thoughts about, our beliefs about, and our behaviors toward others. And so one big difference is that we've been socialized. Either we've been socialized differently, or even if we were socialized the same, we have somehow or another risen above it. But I think that in terms of how it impacts a person's life, a person who operates in the world through the lens of stereotypes and unconscious bias, in, in my view, has a very limited life in that regard, lives a very small life in that regard. And there's no way that I can try to explain to the person in words what their life would be like if they had a more expansive view of humanity and if they were in the world in a more open way. It's hard to really describe it. We know from uh, research, the research indicates that we can indeed grow beyond these isms, but what it takes is exposure, sustained exposure to others, quote-unquote, the people who we otherize, um, so that we can begin to see, well, these folks really aren't that different from me. My goodness. And so, um, yes, I I think that that person lives a very small life with probably a a very monogamous, uh, monogamous? No, I'm sorry, Um, (laughs) a very, um, uh, a group of friends that isn't very diverse, um, and probably thinks that their life is better for it and has no clue about how rich and how full their life could be if they had a diverse group of friends, and if they chose to, if they have a, a faith tradition, if they chose to worship in a, in a diverse environment. And, you know, they, they, they just don't know just how limited an experience of life on this planet they have. And it's, it's a tragedy. It is. It's, it's, I think it's, it's too much work. <laughs> Quite <laughs> frankly, it's too much work to have yeah. to limit yourself in every way, shape, form, and fashion to shape yeah. uh, a view that was taught to you. I mean, that that's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. not goes. I, I agree. It is a lot a, of work. Uh, depending upon where you are, you know, there are whole big sections of our country where just the opposite is true. Where you have to work hard in order to live a more diverse life because of the demographics of your area. You know. Oh, totally. Um, I, I remember um, my my best friend. I, I spoke about about him on your show, but when he moved into our neighborhood, our neighborhood was all white. And uh, when he moved into that neighborhood, people threw rocks through their windows. I mean, it was, wow. I was so hurt because yeah. this is my friend. And the, mm. and people were doing that. And they, it, these, he was, his family were the nicest people you could ever meet. And wow. it just, it broke my heart to see people be so ignorant and stupid. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, I, I hear you, Gary. Um, it, it broke your heart, and I'm assuming that it probably broke his to, you know, any person of goodwill. You see that, and you just can't imagine 
What would cause a person to behave that way? I was looking, this was in 1995, I was looking at new communities in uh, Manassas, Virginia, where I lived for a while, right outside of D.C., and I was just riding through this brand new community. I don't even think anybody had moved into those homes yet. They were being developed. And uh, there was a group of maybe 20 people uh, walking through the community. I think they were just sort of looking at all of the different uh, homes, you know, how they were landscaped and uh, maybe mm-hmm. looking at uh, their uh, their floor plans and all of that. And they were all white, and they saw me in my car. And uh, I had a little convertible at the time, tiny little convertible, so you could really see me. <laughs> and as I walked past those people, they yelled the most atrocious, awful, disgusting, hurtful, offensive epithets. And, they, and we're saying, in addition to the epithets, we don't want you in here. Get out of this community. You don't, you don't want to move in here. And I thought, wow. wow, 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 wow. What do they see when they look at me? They don't see you, I'll tell you that much. That, that's crazy. Yeah, oh. yeah. You know, I think if, if people could strip down and not put so much energy into looking at a person by their color, their, their, their gender, whatever, you know, their preferences sexually, whatever that is, if they could just look at the person, mm-hmm. I think we become smarter. I think we become <laughs> wiser people. Yeah. And, and I think our intelligence all of a sudden gets much, 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 much better mm-hmm. because now mm-hmm. we're open to I, learning. I agree, Gary. I, I agree because you're, you're much more open to the reality of life, to, you know, seeing that, wow, this person who I might have had the stereotype about two years ago is a brilliant artist. Or, you know, this person whom I might have had the stereotype about maybe two or three years ago is an amazing doctor. Or, you know, we, we just get to see more of the reality of life. Or this person who I might not have respected two years ago because she's a maid cleaning up my room is really a sweet person and very intelligent. I just had a five-minute conversation with her, and I was shocked. We get to experience more of life and on a deeper level. And I do, I do think you're right. It makes us smarter, wiser. Yeah. You know, um, in your book, My Story and Humanity's Bottom Line, what is the bottom line for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, Gary, for me, the bottom line really is that if we have any chance at all of handing off to our children a more decent world, a more just world, a a, a more fair world, a world filled with more compassion, if we're going to have any chance at all of handing that kind of world off to our children, one of our biggest and most important um, jobs, if you will, is to start and continue the process of moving beyond the labels, moving beyond all of the isms, moving beyond the stereotypes, and understanding that we are all equally human. When you get right down to it, for some people, the bottom line of their prejudice is that they believe that there's a hierarchy of human beings. African people are closer to apes and chimpanzees and gorillas and people of European descent, especially northern European Aryan descent, are at the top. And everybody else is in the middle somewhere. The rock bottom, for, for some people, hopefully for a, for a dwindling minority of people, that is at the source. Even though they may not admit it or even be aware of it themselves, that's the source of their unconscious bias. If we don't start attacking that, my, my bottom line is that we've got to start attacking that, the source of it, and all of the indices of it, 
in order to pass on a world to our children that's better than the world that we inherited. That's the bottom line. We've got to take this on and deal with it and get beyond it. Otherwise, we pass on, we have, we risk passing on to our children a world that's just like the one we inherited or perhaps even worse. We never evolve. We never evolve. We never evolve. We never evolve. And that, we either evolve or die, Gary. I believe we evolve or die. We either evolve or we devolve. Yep. And, uh, and we and, certainly and want to live species and, on this planet. Bottom line yeah, is we've got to work together to save our planet. And that means moving beyond the labels. You know, uh, you and I both traveled a lot outside of this country. And, you know, in that travel, I, I, think, I think that has been a university experience, just traveling and seeing hmm. different cultures and different people and how they live and how they accept uh, somebody into their country that is mm-hmm. obviously a foreigner. It it, mm-hmm. it amazes me how different people can be, but seeing them through their lens of who they are it, and absorbing yourself into their, their culture. I always say there's a difference between a person that goes on vacation and a person that travels because a person that travels actually goes and experiences where they're at. Wow. Very true. Very true. Well, you know, you're right. I've, I've done a, a fairly significant amount of, of travel outside the United States. And, of course, there are as many, pe- there are as many answers to this question as there are people to ask it of. Um, so I'm, you know, speaking from my perspective. But from my perspective, I can tell you that I feel more like an American when I'm outside the United States than when I'm here at home. I know. People <laughs> see me as an American. Um, their first response, and I don't know how I give it away, maybe the way I'm dressed or something, but, oh, you're an American, aren't you? Uh, yep. Yeah, and I always wonder, <laughs> how did you know that? Um, but, for example, I was in uh, Scotland. I was in Edinburgh uh, when 9-11 happened. Um, oh, wow. And then the next day I took a train back to London to try to get a flight back home, which I couldn't mm-hmm. get for several days. The airports were shut down. Et were shut down, but, yeah. But I went to Buckingham Palace the day on, on September 12th, the day after. Wow. More people, Gary, looked at me, walked up to me and said, you're an American, aren't you? Yes. I thought, maybe it's the tennis shoes. <laughs> but at any rate, and, and, and these were white British people, Hug, put their arms around me, hugged me, and with tears, I'm so sorry. I'm just so sorry. I'm so sorry what you guys are experiencing. I, or not you guys, but, you know, I'm so sorry what's happening in America. I cannot express to you how sorry I am. And I thought to myself, wow, wow, this is not the kind of reaction I usually get from, from white Americans. It's very different when I go abroad, very different. People mm-hmm. seem to see me as an American. I mean, I was, in, uh, I was in Jordan in the Middle East mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. one point, and this was in the mid-'90s, and uh, the guy on, on the bus next to me said, oh, so what are you? Are you Canadian? No. Are you Jamaican? No. Are any, and he said, are you American? I said, yes. Oh, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton. You know Bill Clinton? I said, no, no, I don't know Bill Clinton. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's, it's, it's your nationality that they, that, oh, you're from America. They, they right. rarely say the United States. You're from America. And so I feel more like an American when I'm abroad. When I'm here, I feel like a black American in that box. Isn't Very that, interesting, Gary. Uh, Extremely interesting. Found, you know that that is amazing. That is amazing. That you mm-hmm. know we are looked at as Americans. <laughs> they assume <laughs> that we're not prejudiced. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, you know, I I had a, a friend. Uh, we've lost contact, but I had a friend, Coney, who um, did a lot of work on my house when I was doing some remodeling. This was oh maybe uh, twelve years ago, and he's from uh, Romania, and he's 
uh, at that time he was probably about 35. He said it was 18 when the when the revolution happened and and you know communism broke down in his country, and and he was telling me about his childhood, about what it was like as a young man to go through the revolution and to go from a communist country to a, a you know a capitalist country, a country that's free, and so we're having this really good conversation. And I was telling him about my you know upbringing in New Orleans, born in the early 50s, and you know having experienced uh, American apartheid really until I was in junior high school. You know couldn't drink from the same water fountains, couldn't go wow. to the same schools or sit on the same side of the bus, or, uh, the whole thing. Right. And he said, Lauren, we don't know that in Romania. When we think of America, we think of America as being a place of opportunity for everybody. Right. How could your own country have treated you that way? He said, you mean I could have come here as a child and gone to all those places that you and your parents couldn't have gone to as a foreigner? I said, yeah, Connie. He couldn't believe it, and he started crying. This man is about 6'3", blonde hair, blue oh. eyes, big, tall guy. And, uh, and, he said, and he was crying, and he said, Lauren, you and I, we're the same. We're, we're human beings. And oh. he said, I'm so sorry your country treated you that way, but we did not know that. We don't know anything about that in Romania. It was a profound, and, profound experience for me wow, to see that the is... level of compassion and emotion, you know? Yes. You know, Lauren, how has your experience been with your fantastic new uh, podcast? It's called The Fate of Humanity, A Crucial Conversations for Our Survival. And it's on the Voice America Variety Channel. What, what have you learned about yourself in doing that show? Because I learned so much about myself when I write these shows. Mm, thank you, Gary. You know, the main thing I've learned is that <laughs> this I was put on this planet for this reason, with this message, to try to bring us all together as human beings. That I, when I do my show, I'm on fire. <laughs> I love it. Um, I just, and I'm so appreciative of, to Voice of America for giving me this platform. Last I checked, I had, I think, 900 and some listeners in the United States, 46 in Ireland, one in China, and one in Japan. Wow. <laughs> so I'm excited. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> I'm excited about that. Um, I'm hoping to, to get those numbers up, but it has taught me that this is my stuff. This is my reason for, I've written about it, I've written a book, of course, but when I can talk about it, and knowing that this message is potentially going around the planet, it just totally and utterly excites me. So I've, I've learned that, yes, this is what you're supposed to be doing, Lauren. This is it. And it's exciting, Gary. Oh, that is wonderful. Well, folks, that's our show. Lauren, thank you so, so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Um, oh, our next show is How to Get Gary. a Better Partner Picker. I'd like to thank <laughs> everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. DRGBMFT at SBCGlobal.net or Twitter at DRGBMFT. Now, remember... The only race I hate is the one I have to run. That's Fluffy. That's Gabriel Iglesias. <laughs> now, remember also, the happier we get, the less we look for something to fear. Ah, true. <laughs> and also, true. this is from Albert Einstein. What a sad era when it is easier to smash an atom than a prejudice. Wow. Thanks for listening, everybody.